teams get in in each league, but right now they don't care one bit about that. So now with a runner on, it'll be Aaron Hicks. On the way, swing and a miss. He got it. Rafael Luis finishes it off, and the Blue Jays are headed to the postseason. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson Smith for the evening of Monday, September 28th, although you will likely be listening to this on Tuesday, September 29th, when the Blue Jays begin a three-game wildcard series against the Tampa Bay Rays winner-take-all at the Trop. The Tampa Bay Rays, Ben, won 40 games. Best team in the American League, and their reward for that is having to get rid of these pesky Blue Jays in three games. It's easier said than done. I mean, the Rays are the better team, but the Blue Jays, and, and we've talked about this offline, maybe maybe on air as well, but I still think the Blue Jays have like a 45% chance of winning this thing. Like, I, I'm not going to be surprised at all if the Blue Jays end up uh, advancing. And, and anyone who's listening to this a few days after the fact will know exactly how this series goes, and it's going to go quick, and hopefully it's a lot of fun. But I think that there's absolutely a chance for the Blue Jays here if they hit. They get, you know, some decent pitching, but th- this opportunity is a big one for them. Yeah, I was like looking at the bracket today and thankfully um, in your role as baseball editor at sports.ca, you did not force us to make predictions and you did not force us to fill out a bracket. True. Which I thank you for. <laughs> but I was kind of thinking like if you did, I might have just picked the underdog in every series because you're just as likely to be correct because you're right. Like these series are as close to coin flips as you can get, bad teams beat good teams in three-game series all the time. The Baltimore Orioles have been absolutely putrid for two seasons now, and I promise you they have beat plenty of good teams in three-game series. I mean, it just does not take much. It takes one really strong like day from your pitching staff and one really strong day from your lineup, and you win the series. So I think you're right. I think that obviously objectively on paper the Tampa Bay Rays are the better team they are more talented they have better pitching they have a deeper offense and a better bench like I just think that they are a better team over a a long sample but over three games yeah I would say the odds in the Rays favor are like 55 45 yeah exactly I mean it's it's almost like it's just such a small small sample the further you shrink it the more it becomes absurd like that's why the wild card game is so unpredictable <laughs> yeah. you know it's why like at a certain point you just enter the territory of pure folly like if i asked you who's going to outscore the other team in the first inning tomorrow like who knows anything can happen <laughs> but we're only talking about 27 innings for the whole series like it's not that much no and i think that is why you have seen the blue jays take somewhat of an unconventional approach to their pitching staff in this series i think a lot of people expected that the blue jays would just start hunjin ryu in game one because why wouldn't you he's your ace he uh had you know probably one of the 10 best seasons of any pitcher uh in the american league this season uh he's been great for you all year you paid him 20 million dollars to come here and uh you know be your guy in the front of your rotation no Matt Shoemaker starts in game one. Hunjin Ryu is going to start in game two. And if there is a game three, Tywin Walker is scheduled to start that one. I think I know what your answer to this question is going to be based on the conversations that we have had both on this program and also just amongst ourselves. But when Charlie Montoyo announced that, were you surprised? I was not very surprised. You know, again, it's it's one of those situations you could have seen going either way. And Ryu obviously was on track for that day. So he was in the discussion. But after they scratched Matt Shoemaker from his Saturday start, you started wondering, like, what is the purpose here? What are the options that they're trying to keep open for themselves? And after Charlie Montoyo said, 
that Ryu came out of his most recent start feeling just a little bit sore, then you start thinking, okay, this is a guy who's done well historically and in 2020 when he has an extra day of rest. Now, he's a great pitcher. He does well on four days rest as well, but he does a little bit better peripherals and ERA-wise when he has five days. So with that in mind, I wasn't surprised. I understand, you know, a lot of people didn't like this decision and I can see why. I think ideal world, you want Hyunjin Ryu to start game one if you can, you know, if he's healthy, if he feels good, if he's not a little sore, I think you want him in game one. But if he is a little sore, I can understand bumping him to game two, which is also a very important game. Ideal world, you're the 2019 Houston Astros. And uh, first of all, your haters know what pitches are coming. But uh, second of all, for my point here, <laughs> you have Garrett Cole, Justin Berlander, and Zach Granke. You know, like you have three future Hall of Fame starting pitchers, and you just line them up. Any order that you want, they're all great, and they can all go six, seven, eight innings, and they're like all fantastic, and they all kind of get better as night goes on. That's the ideal world. Blue Jays don't live in that world. The Blue Jays never have, and they haven't at any point throughout the 2020 season. I don't understand the surprise with this move. I can understand people who say, like, Hunjin Ryu is your best pitcher. Throw him in game one in the wild card era. Teams that win game one in playoff series have like a 720 winning percentage for the whole series. Like, I, I get that argument, but I don't understand people who are shocked because the Blue Jays have done nothing by the book this season when it comes to their pitching staff. Outside of Ryu, we have not seen Blue Jays starters, you know, regularly face a lineup a third time or get, you know, past the first couple of hitters in a lineup that third trip through. We have seen converted starters like Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay and uh, Ryan Barucki coming out of the bullpen and piggybacking off of, you know, guys like Tanner Roark and, and Chase Anderson. We saw after Ken Giles went down to injury and was essentially lost for the season, the Blue Jays didn't have a true closer. Sometimes we saw Raphael Delis close. Sometimes we saw Jordan Romano. Sometimes we saw Anthony Bass. Like it, Charlie Montoyo didn't manage to, I'm saving so-and-so for a ninth inning save opportunity. He managed to leverage. And sometimes leverage materializes in the fifth inning. Sometimes it materializes in the fourth. Sometimes it materializes in the ninth. But you find that leverage and you use the best arm and the best matchup. You put your pitchers in the best position to succeed. You try to win ball games. It doesn't matter how you get your 27 outs. It just matters that you have them at the end of the night and you have more runs than the other team. So we haven't seen the Blue Jays deploy their pitching staff traditionally at all this season. So there was really no reason to expect that they would do so in the postseason. And look, I even sort of fell into it a little bit when the Blue Jays bullpen was like really struggling, you know, two or three weeks ago where I was like, oh, all right, maybe they'll just kind of like line up starters. But I, you know, the bullpen has kind of come back to life a little bit. They've gotten rested. And the more you think about, you know, just the strangeness and the peculiarity of a three-game series, it begs for an innovative approach. Like, it begs for outside-the-box thinking. So I'm not at all surprised to see that the Blue Jays are going Shoemaker Game 1, Ryu Game 2. you got to play the hand you're dealt, really. And there were times during this season where the Blue Jays had a great bullpen. And at that point, all right, you're thinking about a must-win game. You're thinking about a bullpen game. There were other times that the bullpen was, you know, basically non-existent because of all the injuries. And at that point, I think it's reasonable to say you might rely more on your starting pitching. Now the Jays are a little bit more in between. We've seen a guy like Nate Pearson come back throwing 101 miles an hour up in the zone. I mean, just dominant at times in that first outing back against the Orioles. And that's, you know, he could have been facing any lineup there. I mean, this, this stuff would have played against any hitters. So to have Pearson back, that changes the equation a little bit. 
to have Ryu, you know, and I'm not sure exactly what Ryu is saying. We haven't heard from him yet. We're not sure exactly what the medical say. So we're, we're approximating and guessing a little bit here. But if the Blue Jays are just bumping Ryu because they're trying to get a little bit creative with it, I don't love that. If they're bumping Ryu because he's not feeling 100% and he could use an extra day, then that makes all the sense in the world to me. At that point, that's the situation. You have to deal with it. You have to make sure that he has enough rest and you figure out game one with the arms that you have. So to that point, for you pitching on five days rest with an extra day of rest, this isn't new. Like if anything, this is actually the norm for his recent career. Since 2017, he has made 80 starts and 40 of those starts have come with five days rest. This is what he's accustomed to. And these are two different organizations, by the way. Like This is the Los Angeles Dodgers and now the Toronto Blue Jays who have each arrived at the conclusion that this guy should have an extra day of rest. Now, I don't know, like you said, if that's what he has told them that he prefers. I don't know if that's based on like objective you know, recovery data and like workload data that the Blue Jays are accumulating and measuring and seeing and that you know, two independent training staffs have both said, hey, this is a guy who would benefit from that extra day. Like, I don't know what it is, but clearly there is something there. And there is a statistical case as well. This season, Anjan Ryu has pitched better with that extra day of rest than with just four days of rest. So, you know, that's a small sample. It's a little noisy. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that that's going to continue forever. But I, I think that, you know, for, for, from the Ryu standpoint, like, it makes sense. It almost should have been expected. Change up, popped up, shallow right. Teoscar is there. And Ryu and the Blue Jays are through seven, leading four. From the shoemaker standpoint, I think that the mistake people will make is saying game one is Matt Shoemaker's game. The first two to three innings of game one are Matt Shoemaker's. That's it. Like this is not a guy, if he is pitching in the fourth or fifth inning, like things have gone spectacularly for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're up by a touchdown. Uh, you know, like they like things are going incredibly for the Blue Jays if he is still in there and pitching. And also, by the way, Matt Shoemaker at that point has been incredibly efficient with his pitches and gotten outs at a very precipitous rate because he's probably going to be on a pitch count of like 65 pitches or so. Matt Shoemaker is pitching the first eight to nine outs of this game. And then I am very, very confident that Robbie Ray is coming in after him and that Robbie Ray is going to attack the Rays lineup from the left side. And I think that the design of this and the idea behind it is to start Matt Shoemaker, hope that the Rays stack lefties against him, then you bring in Ray after Shoemaker, and now Kevin Cash has the decision to make. Does he go to his bench for right-handed hitters? Does he pinch hit and make a move to gain the platoon advantage on Robbie Ray? I think Charlie Montoya would be okay with that because later in the game, like you said, he's bringing in Nate Pearson or he's bringing in Anthony Bass. He's bringing in Raphael Delis and he's bringing in right-handers. And now Kevin Cash has already used his bench. He's already made his moves. Or does Cash leave in unideal matchups against Robbie Ray and let him, you hope, pile up outs? Because like, look, even though Robbie Ray has struggled this year with his command and led the majors in walks, he has still been dominant against left-handed hitting. Like it's the one thing he's done really, really well. This year, throughout his career, he has struck out nearly a third of the lefties he has faced in his career. So I, I think that is the design and the game plan here is to force the Rays' hand. And you know whether you agree with it or not, I can't wait to watch it play out and to see how it is in action. 
That's right. I think you made a lot of good points there. And it is a game plan. They are planning for the whole game. They are thinking three and four steps ahead as, as we are. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to anticipate that these things are going to happen. But it's, it's super interesting. It's that those really fun decisions in game that the managers themselves are going to have to make rapid fire. Charlie Montoyo managing a playoff game for the first time. This is really high stakes. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> you know, you just struck um, fear into the hearts of a lot of Blue Jays fans. I might have. Yes. I'm, <laughs> but hey, this is it. You got to, yeah. this is his chance to prove himself too, just like the players, right? And I think a lot of Blue Jays fans have been frustrated with Montoyo at times. Understandable. That's fair, right? There are a lot of questionable decisions, but, you know, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. I think the decision. Once you get to the point that Ryu is starting game two, okay, however you get there, and you yeah. can agree or disagree, but once you get to that point, then I think the decision to start Shoemaker over Taiwan Walker makes a lot of sense because much like Robbie Ray, Taiwan Walker has pretty substantial platoon splits, and Walker has not fared well against left-hand hitters at all. If I've got this right, it's an 869 OPS while facing lefties, and the Rays yep. have a ton of lefties. So, I mean, that's not a matchup that you want to spoon-feed the Rays, you know, I think in a different lineup, Taiwan Walker might start. And if it gets to game three, they'll need him anyway. But I think to go to Shoemaker, who has that splitter, he can handle guys on both sides of the plate. I think that makes sense. And like you said, you're not asking Matt Shoemaker to go seven, eight innings. I mean, you're asking him to go just a few innings and then hand it over to the bullpen and try to mix and match your way to a victory. Yeah, he doesn't need multiple ways to get the same hitters out. Like you can just go after guys with his best stuff and yep. pitch to his game plan and use that splitter like you said which the Rays have actually struggled against splitters this season we saw Matt Schumacher against the Yankees and it was like oh like do you throw 96 now like what is going right. on here you're in a short stint he's throwing harder it's max effort right like you see Nate Pearson coming out of a bullpen throwing 101 and I think that like he can actually go further than that personally I'd, you know if there was a crowd there and adrenaline was pumping yeah. the, you know the way it is with 50,000 people at Rogers Center I mean, I think we would see some special velocities out of him. In a short stint, you can just throw max effort, throw your nastiest stuff. You're not leaving anything in the tank. I think that will be the case in game one for Shoemaker, for Robbie Ray, for whoever comes in after them. If it's Pearson, if it's Dolis, if it's Baraki, you know, like whoever it is, it's just max effort. Throw as hard as you can. Like, don't leave anything in the tank. Like, we'll figure it out. We have enough pitchers. We will get you through this. And I just think that, like, the matchup thing here is is huge because the Rays, like, such a strength of their lineup is, like, yes, they have really good left-handed bats, right? Like, Brandon Lau, you know, like, G-Man Choi. Like, they got, like, really good left-handed bats. But, like, they also have Willie Adonis. And they also have Yandy Diaz. Like, they also have really good right-handed bats, too. Like, they can really match up well against a lineup and they can you know kevin cash can really like play a lot of different hands so i think the blue jays are just kind of trying to force him into something in the first game like they're just trying to force him to make moves like you're making a move now like you are making a choice and a decision we are going to use the versatility and the strength of our pitching staff which is that we can like throw some different looks at you to hopefully take away some of your looks so we can play better matchups like down the line instead of letting Kevin Cash run the game script that he's trying to run. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And I think if this season had gone differently, then, you know, if Nate Pearson had emerged as the super prospect, he's going six innings to start, you know, he's, he's throwing 97, 98 in the sixth inning. He's starting this game, right? But again, it's just, it comes down to you, you deal with what you have at your disposal right now. Pearson's not stretched out. So they're going to have to figure it out. And, you know, I think, and this is so obvious, but, one thing, when you're talking about Robbie Ray and some of these other pitchers who might be trying to access that extra one or two miles an hour on their fastball, and Robbie Ray led the league in walks, 
I just wonder if the Jays, you know, they, they've got to be careful about walking guys. And so it's so yeah. obvious in a way that if I'm in that hitters meeting with Chad Matola, the Rays hitting coach, you know that he's going to tell them, you've got to be patient. You've got to make sure that these pitchers come into the zone and come into where you are trying to hit it in the zone. So if you're the Blue Jays, you know, the Rays are such a good offensive team. As you said, they have a lot of hitters who can do a lot of things offensively. You would hate to see Robbie Ray come in and, you know, walk three batters and or Shoemaker walks a couple. Like, you know, it's those are the things where, you know, this is a team that's gotten in its own way. You got to hope that that doesn't happen if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan. Yeah. Who's the home plate umpire in this game? Like, we don't know yet. Good question. But that will be a character uh, on this stage, I would say. That's you know, right. like that will be somewhat of a protagonist in, in this entire thing and the calls that Robbie Ray is and is not getting. Um, the calls that Matt Shoemaker is and is not getting, even Hunjin Ryu in game two. You know, the last thing that I will say about, you know, these pitching decisions before we step away and in the second half, we'll talk about the bats and, and the Jays' offense in this series. But, you know, pitching-wise, like it's so interesting because I just, you know, filed like 1,500 words on these decisions and I'm like looking, you know, combing through fan graphs and like baseball reference and baseball savant. And I'm looking at, you know, splits and like, you know, lefty, righty and different pitches and things like that. But all the while, I know that the Blue Jays like are not using fan graphs to make these decisions. And they are not using the same data that, that we're using. You know, like they are use, they are thinking about swing planes and they are thinking about movement profiles and they are thinking about where in the zone Rays hitters like to have pitches and where they struggle and where Matt Shoemaker likes to throw his pitches and where he's most effective with his repertoire and then kind of trying to like match those things up and try to find like ideal matchups. Same thing with the bullpen and with everybody who's going to pitch in, in this series like it's it almost makes it tough to analyze um and it means that there might be some moves that like don't make sense based on just true lefty righty splits but i just think that you know the level of analysis and data that is being used and information that's being used like actually inside the game by r&d departments is like just so far beyond like what we even have access to that you know it's all it almost like makes it hard for us to do our jobs, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It is what it is. I don't really have a way to conclude that thought. It just what it just yeah. is what it is. I, I mean, if you define our jobs as trying to keep up with the R and D department of a you know billion dollar team, then no, we're not we're not doing that. Yeah. I think if our job is to kind of keep an eye on the big picture, then I think we can do that. But really, we're no more able to decipher you know what's the ideal pitch on an o2 count for you know matt shoemaker than we are what's the ideal concessions price for a hot dog at rogers center with it you know like those are those questions are i mean they're answerable there are answers to them I, i'm sure if you sat down long enough you could figure it out but yeah they are complex questions on the other hand you don't want to get like here's here's one thing i'll say about the toronto blue jays here in this series don't get too cute play your best players rely on your best players in the biggest times let them do their job yeah, that's a good thought to end it on with, with this pitching discussion. And uh, I just cannot wait to see how it plays out because it's interesting and it's novel and it's different. You know, I just really enjoy watching those, uh, those science experiments play out on the field of play. We are going to step away, but when we come back on Athletics, we'll talk about the bats, we'll talk about the offense, uh, and we'll talk about some other under the, uh, the radar topics in this wildcard series, which begins Tuesday night. All that and so much more when we return on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Thanks as always to our producers, Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, we talked about the pitching. Let's talk about 
the bats today in Blue Jays Confidential on sports.ca. You asked us what the Blue Jays had to do well in this series, what their greatest strength is. And you and I, like-minded individuals, both landed on the same thing. It's power potential. And it is hitting the ball hard. And it is this lineup coming up with clutch plate appearances. Can't believe I used the word clutch, but like big plate appearances and, you know, timely, tenacious plate appearances, seeing pitches, working deep into counts and doing what they do best right then. Totally. I mean, they have a good hitting team. And there have been times this year, like even a couple of weeks ago, I remember saying on this podcast that their lineup would look really thin after maybe the first five hitters. And that was the case for weeks at a time. So I think that their season-long stats, which are good, by the way, their season-long stats put them, I think, 11th in Major League Baseball when it comes to WRC+. So they have produced as an offense. But I think when they're fully healthy or when they're mostly healthy, as they are right now, pending the status of Rowdy Telez, then I think it's an even better offense. I mean, you've got Alejandro Kirk in there. You've got Teoscar Hernandez back. Bo Bichette is back. Those guys, I mean... Remember when Shet went down and when Teoscar went down, there was some thought that they might be out for the season. I mean, here they are. Same with Telez. Like, these guys are back. In the case of, of Bichette and Teoscar, they're producing. This is premium offense from Bichette at a premium position, from Teoscar at, at a slugging position. They're a good offensive team, and I think that I really do believe that's their biggest strength going into this series. Flew under the radar a little bit for me, but like when I looked at it this morning, just kind of looking at like the end of season stats for the Blue Jays, they had seven hitters qualify for the batting title with a 114 OPS plus or higher. Seven hitters. And Travis Shaw is right there at number eight at 95 OPS plus. I mean, like their lineup is deep and you kind of touched on it. They just haven't really all been like together and clicking at once, right? You know, Bo Bichette is out with injury, the Teoscar Hernandez, Rowdy Tellez is out with injury, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is like slumping mightily and he didn't pull out of it until, you know, kind of the last week, week and a half, two weeks of the season. The Rays are going to pitch, man. Like the Rays are going to do some of the same things the Blue Jays are going to try to do to them. They're going to try to play matchups. They're going to bring a lot of like funky dudes out of the bullpen with like weird arm slots and like little hitches in their delivery and like different looks and different repertoires and kind of the commonality for all of them is that the ball comes out of their hand at a really high rate of speed and the breaking stuff spins an awful lot i just think the blue jays are just gonna have to really lock in on their approach and they're gonna have to like really have that sort of two strike approach they've heard so much about this season almost from pitch one of the plate appearance and just be in battle mode and be like, I am not going to make an easy out. You know, I'm not going to have a short plate appearance. Like I'm not going to throw away this plate appearance. I am going to fight off tough pitches. I'm going to be tenacious. If I get my pitch on the plate, like absolutely, I'm going to try to barrel it and try to drive it, but I'm also not going to chase crap and I am not going to, you know, make it out on, on the first pitch if it's a bad pitch to be swinging at. So I think that just being locked in mentally on that approach and getting just kind of running up pitch counts and getting to a point where pitchers make the mistakes that every hitter thrives on that sort of like middle in fastball that was supposed to be in in and the pitcher didn't quite get it there so it's on the plate and you're ready for it and you're timed up with it like getting to those mistakes i think that's what's going to be key for this lineup because i do think that it is sort of the the power and the ops that will carry this team offensively through a you know what might only be two game series yeah that's right you got to make the most of every mistake pitch right and there will be mistake pitches even from Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now they're going to miss over the plate with fastballs at times or they're going to hang breaking balls and there might not be many of them and they might come on you know 02 counts or 30 counts where you you know you just weren't expecting it and 
and it, you can't take advantage of it, but there will be pitches for this team to hit. And most of the time, they've done a good job as a group of, of connecting with them. I think, it, you know, with most of this lineup, it's pretty clear who Charlie Montoyo starts. I, I think you get a couple interesting decisions toward the back end of the lineup. And I mean, probably none more interesting of all than Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. Although, I mean, it's not really an or because it can be an and if you put Kirk at DH. Like, I can't remember, you and I talk on so many platforms, but like, I don't think that Alejandro Kirk should catch in this series. I am here for him as the designated hitter in, in game one against Blake Snell. Like, we'll see about game two. I mean, I'm certainly, he's probably my first bat off the bench in that game if he's not in the lineup. But like, if he is in the lineup, he's a designated hitter to me. I'm not having him behind the plate because I just think defense is going to be so important. And you want your pitchers to be as comfortable as possible. There are so many things that go into catching at a big league level from game calling to you know, pitch selection, reading swings, controlling base runners, blocking pitches, um, you know, not getting crossed up, which we have seen a few times, be, you know, get, you know, when a runner's on second, like going through multiple sets of signs and not letting it disrupt a pitcher's tempo. Like Alejandro Kirk just doesn't have the experience, man. He's got like 50 innings at the big league level and all the rest of them are at high A 14 months ago. I have Danny Jansen behind the plate just purely for defensive purposes and also for like the sneaky 15% walk rate and the fact that he's been swinging the bat a bit better lately. As Danny Jansen comes to the plate, rifle the double into the left field or over the head of the left fielder Frazier last time up. Now he swings and he rips one to deep left. That one's got a shot. It is gone. Danny Jansen's fifth home run gets out in a heartbeat. But I have no problem if Alejandro Kirk is my designated hitter, particularly if Rowdy Tellez isn't available for this series. You know, I wasn't necessarily, you know, two weeks ago that comfortable with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing first base in this series, but I can live with it if Alejandro Kirk's bat is going to be in the lineup at designated hitter. Would you be hesitant to throw him behind the plate? So I would be hesitant. I would, yes, I would be. I would not do it without thinking. You know, it, it's not an automatic for me. But I think the last time we recorded, by the way, on At the Letters, I think Danny Jansen had a massive night that yeah. night that we were. Yeah, I think so. So, so credit to Danny Jansen. We didn't give him any credit last week. So, who should we bless uh, this week? <laughs> yeah, honestly. But if you're going to make an extended run, and the goal once you're in the playoffs always should be to make an extended run, you're not playing to get knocked out in three games by the Rays. Now that they're in, like make the most of it. See if you can win the World Series. And I know it sounds, it sounds crazy, but they're also like they're in it. So, yeah. as long as you're in it, take advantage of it. And in that scenario that you're advancing, you need Kirk to catch because there's a five-game division series with no off days. He's going to have to catch at some point. In the LCS and the World Series, Like Kirk sure. will have to catch at some point. So there's no ignoring that fact. Now, when does that happen? Does it have to happen in the wildcard round? I don't think so because in game one, Jansen just had an off day, right? So he's fine. He's your best defensive catcher. So he catches game one. And Jansen's obviously catching game two as well. Then, in an elimination game, are you going to Alejandro Kirk with your season on the line in a game three? Yeah. I think you go to Jansen again. So that's, that's kind of the way I would look at things. Right. But So you would have Kirk. Like I think he will probably DH in game one. Yeah. You got him DHing like, all the way through. Is there anybody else you're trying to get into this lineup? I mean, it depends on Telez's health to an extent. Yeah. Like Telez v. Glasnow, I would be interested in. You know, I think Snell and Kirk... That's perfect because Kirk actually has shown the ability to hit velocity, something that not a lot of guys in this team necessarily have, or you know, at times they've struggled. So Kirk, I think, lines up perfectly as your game one DH against Snell. Glasnow, 
kind of depends on Telez or maybe even Travis Shaw. I mean, you could think about him in that spot, but there are some different ways you can do things. Worst case though, you know, Kirk could be a very good first spot off the bench. Kirk just looks like such a like annoying plate appearance for a pitcher because it's so hard to get him off balance. Like, because yeah. he's very like balanced. Um, you know, I, I'm sure the low center of gravity kind of helps, but like you kind of just like look at the rhythm of the swing and you look at the way he can manipulate the bat and some of the pitches he can get around to. You know, like he can protect against elevated fastballs. He can like we've seen some where he goes like he drops his back knee and goes down after like curveballs that are you know borderline like below the zone and fouls them off. He's naturally got a small strike zone because he's only five foot eight. So like he just kind of looks like a you know kind of a pesky matchup. And also there's not that much data out there on him, right? Like yep. I, you got a few a little bit of a sample, but you know it's the book certainly isn't out. So it's no. not like the Rays would be able to craft a terrific game plan against him. Like I'm sure the Rays know exactly how they want to pitch Travis Shaw. You know, I don't think that they would necessarily know exactly how they'd want to pitch Alejandro Kirk. So he does become like a very interesting option for me. But, you know, to me, like the offense, it, it starts at the top, right? Like it's Kevin Biggio working the plate appearances that, you know, we know that he can work. I would, you know, he is he as will. steady, right, as anybody yeah. on the You know he will, yeah. Is Bo Bichette able to get some pitches to drive? You know, he was like a little inconsistent when he came back from injury. Looks like he's kind of finding it a little bit. Like I've seen him kind of playing around a little bit with his feet and with that two-strike approach and maybe, you know, quieting the leg kick a little bit. Like he's always kind of, you know, making little adjustments. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., can he carry over this this heater that he is on, right? And, you know, some of the good results that he found in that last week of the season, that Yankees series, especially. Teoscar Hernandez, how is he feeling after coming back from, from injury? And is he able to drive the ball? Can Randall Gritschuk run into a few? Is Lourdes Guerrero Jr. going to keep just, like, driving baseballs all over the field? Like, to me, that's, you know, where you kind of win or lose this series offensively. Like, some of the little marginal stuff at the bottom with Kirk, where it's like, or you know do you play panic or shaw or like does jonathan vr get in i don't know if that stuff on the margins is really winning or losing you this series you never know right it might be a joe panic you know double down the line that just wins the series or or it could be you know a randy or a you know gapper that destroys the like it, it can be those role players and that's kind of the fun thing about a tiny series Right. How do you feel about the the Blue Jays defense? Like, I kind of feel like it needs to be absolutely on point in this series. Like, the Rays will make you pay for little little errors like that, man. And especially you look at, you know, Shoemaker strikes out some guys, but ball's probably going to be in play. Robbie Ray will get tons of strikeouts in that, you know, game one. But uh, you look at game two, the three, ball's going to be in play. You know, his K for nine's actually been pretty high this year, up over nine, but the ball's going to be in play. Like, I think the Blue Jays need to be defending very crisply in this series for them to have a chance. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think the base running is an interesting area yes. to watch. I mean, of the starting pitchers, probably the two guys who are starting games one and two are pretty good at the running game between Shoemaker and then Ryu is exceptional in that regard. So, and this is a raised team, by the way, that stole at an yes. 84% success rate this year as a team. And they, and they ran a fair amount. They stole, I think, 47 bases or something. Um, the Jays were pretty efficient too, but they didn't run nearly as much. So yeah, you're looking at a team that can make you pay on the bases. You know, Jansen, Kirk, their throwing hasn't been great. We talked to Joe Siddle about this the other day. And, you know, their, their throwing has been okay, but not enough to dissuade some really good base runners. So that's another aspect of it. And you just can't have those mental mistakes are going to cost you those fielding mistakes are going to cost you you know you think about not trying to pick on the guy but you think about vladdy going down the line to try to catch a foul pop-up and how many times has he missed those this year i mean if he gets one of those he's got to catch it you know yep. you can't let those outs disappear so 
those little things will add up and be magnified in the course of this three game series. It's funny how the Rays zag when everyone else zigs, right? You look at how like the value of the stolen base has like declined over recent seasons to a point where now like nobody steals except for the Rays. Yeah. <laughs> like stole the sixth most bases this year. And you're right, Danny Jansen has had trouble, you know, with controlling the running game. Alejandro Kirk, especially when he's doing that like catching on one knee thing, yeah. just can't have the arm strength to no. get the ball to second quickly, right? And I haven't looked up his pop time, but you know, it's gonna come down to I think Blue Jays quick pitchers like being mindful of that running game and also being quick to the plate because we always look at the catchers when it comes to like you know throwing base runners out and and you know controlling the running game and things like that but i really do think that like a pitcher's tempo and rhythm their variance in between pitches how quick they are to the plate just how much attention they pay to that runner at first base can actually have a lot more to do with it to at least give their catcher a chance at throwing a guy out yeah, exactly. That's some of the points that Joe was was making. And I think they, they make a t- whole lot of sense, right? At a certain point, the, the pitcher has to create some deception. They have to keep everyone on the element of surprise and play a little bit when it comes to your your pickoffs or whatever the case. And these, these teams, you know, they're so familiar with, with each other in every respect after playing 10 times. And that's where, you know, if you have a guy like, you know, Robbie Ray, who hasn't faced them this year. All right, maybe that's a bit of a different look. That could play in the Blue Jays' favor. Same with Alejandro Kirk, you know, a bit of a, a secret weapon, so to speak. Now, it, it only matters that those guys perform, but going into it, it creates a little bit of intrigue for the Rays and Jays. Can't wait for this series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very quickly before we go, to me, uh, X-Factors in this series, I think Robbie Ray, Ryan Brockie out of the bullpen, lefties. Like I think those are going to be big names and big spots in this series. Does anyone come to mind for you as we wrap up? Ray is a good one because... You know, because you could go with Ryu, right? Like, and that's a fair answer. But Ray has more variance with what he could offer. Like, he yeah. could be really good, or he could really not be good. That's someone that I would point to, and and Vladdy in the same way, right? Because Vladdy could make all the plays at first and hit three doubles and a homer in the course of three games, or you know, it could go another way. So I'll go with Vladdy and Ray. Those are the names to look out for. Those are the names that uh, we think we're going to be talking about when we are back to wrap up this series, and we will be. Whenever it's over, we'll be back to wrap it up. Maybe we'll be setting up a divisional series or maybe we'll be setting up uh, an off season. I really can't tell you, but you know, these series are coin flips and uh, you know, in the year 2020, it's just kind of nice to have an interesting and nice thing. And I think that a three game uh, wildcard series, something we've never seen before uh, with all kinds of innovative pitching matchups and strategies at play and, and, you know, competition. I think it's just going to be a really cool thing to have this week and, and to watch every day. Of course, you can watch that on Sportsnet game one on Tuesday, game two on Wednesday, Buck and Joe Siddle are going to have a Call. You hear it on the radio. You can read it uh, about it on sportsnet.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Ben Nicholson Smith, at Arden Zwelling. And you obviously are listening to us here on At the Letters with our producers, Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan, who I must thank as always. And I want to thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time on At the Letters.